So what, what's going on in, in Matthew 22 is in chapter 21, Jesus has just entered the city of Jerusalem he, uh, triumphantly as a king mounted on a donkey as the prophets had foretold. Um, and he begins to, uh, to sort of butt heads pretty vigorously with uh, the religious authorities of the day. Um, he, he pronounces a curse on a fig tree. Uh, the fig tree withers and dies. It symbolizes uh, that, that the old religious establishment that had been seeking to worship Yahweh was, in fact, uh, not accurate any longer. Um, and that they had strayed from the way. And Jesus, as uh, the new Moses, as uh, the Messiah, as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, uh, was going to be instituting a new way. And so these religious leaders are then uh, challenging Jesus. They are going to him and they're questioning him. They, they are posing riddles to him. They are um, doing those sorts of things. And so Jesus uh, rebukes them and he tells a series of parables. There's a parable of the two sons. There's the parable of the tenants. And then there's the parable of the wedding feast, all which sort of tell the same story that, that the Jews, as they have been trying to worship Yahweh, have missed the mark. They have gone astray. They have actually rejected the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And, and because of this rejection, a change was going to happen. Uh, that he was going to inaugurate in his own flesh. That Jesus Christ was going to become the new and living way. Then, um, so it ends with the parable of the, the wedding feast. You have that, that three-parable sort of triad. And then you have three, uh, three groups of people, three challenges to Jesus' authority. The first is about paying taxes to Caesar, which is famously quoted. Then you have the whole uh, episode about the Sadducees and the resurrection. And I've been, you know, this woman has been married and she has seven husbands because each of her husband dies in succession in the resurrection. Whose husband will, she, or whose wife will she be? And Jesus uh, fixes that misunderstanding that the Sadducees, who didn't even believe in the resurrection, had. And then in the last one, this is what we're going to be focusing on today, is the, uh, a Pharisee, uh, the Pharisees hear that the Sadducees have just been shut up and made to look like idiots because of Jesus, right? Um, so they go and they bring one of their um, lawyers, one of their um, men who knows the law really well, who understands the Old Testament exquisitely. He's probably memorized a very, very, very large chunk of the Old Testament. Um, so he knows his stuff. He is skilled. He is trained. He's probably an older gentleman where Jesus was young, um, like in his 30s, right? Young like me. Um, most people don't think 30s is young anymore. That was supposed to be funny. Um, and so he comes to them, and, and this, is, this is the exchange. So if you would stand for the reading of God's word, we're going to be in Matthew 22, starting in verse 34 where Jesus talks to us about the great commandment. This is what the, the word says. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law 
and the prophets. Go ahead and have a seat and let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful that it teaches us so much. We are grateful that in it are words of life. And so we beg of you, Holy Spirit, to come today and show us these words, that you would feed them to our mouths like a scroll and it would be sweet to our taste and that it would delight our minds and our bellies with your goodness, that we would taste and see that the Lord is good from your word, that we would encounter our risen Savior through the words of this text. This word is living and active And so, Lord, make it alive to us today. Use it to refine us. Use it to make us new and to make us whole, we pray. Amen. Um, So so this this, uh, text, right? Jesus is asked a question about the law. Um, He's given uh, a a riddle, which he answers excellently. And and what he does in this riddle is, is he is taking... All of the Old Testament, all of the law and the prophets is a, is a summary way of talking about the Old Testament. And he distills it to its essence, right? Anybody familiar with essential oils, right? Essential oils, you're, you're taking this, you know, it takes like a whole field of mint to make like an ounce of mint essential oils. Like 100,000 acres, it's not really that many. But it's so much mint And then when you crush it all down and you squeeze it and you press it, there's just so little oil, but it is the mintiest thing you're ever going to mint in your entire life, right? Like you put it on your skin and it burns. That's how powerful the essence of this mint is. Uh, Similarly, right, if, if, um, you know, you're making uh, an alcohol or, or, or you're purifying water, right, you boil it, you boil it, and then what comes out? is just the purity of that thing, right? So, so if, if you're pouring t- uh, tap water into a thing, you, you boil it and the steam rises and the steam is just lighter than all the impurities in the other water. And so it just, it circles up and as it gets high enough, it cools. And then you have this little thing that then it, it drips out pure water, right? So, so distillation is about uh, getting lots of stuff boiled down into one thing. And it's also about purifying and refining and making perfect that's what distillation is. And what Jesus does, what Jesus does here is he distills all of the Old Testament, all of the prophets, all of the law into its purest, most powerful, most potent form imaginable. This is a summary of the law. It is well known that that Jesus, in making this summary, is actually quoting the law itself, right? So in, uh, was it, in 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is a a quote, direct quote from Deuteronomy 6, 5. His quote here of a second is like it in, in 22, 39, you shall love your neighbor as yourself is a direct quote of Leviticus 19.18. And so Jesus here is he's using the Old Testament to summarize the Old Testament to us. And, and the, his, his picking of these texts is not, uh, it's not uh, random, right? He, he just didn't come. He just didn't think about the first thing that came to his mind. He was like the lawyer, right? He knew the law of God. 
And so I'm going to read a little bit of Deuteronomy 6, uh, just to to give you a feel for, for what is going on in the text. So Deuteronomy 6, 1, it says, Now this is the commandment. The statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded to te- me to teach you, that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, which is a, uh, an act of devotion, right? Fear is, is it's a core in our emotions, right? It's, it's this ability to, to understand who God is and our relationship to him and the emotion that that creates in our relationship, Right? Fear of the Lord is, is knowing that God is powerful, God is mighty, God is just, God is awesome, God is creator, God is magnificent. And it's knowing this idea that I am none of those things. I am fallen. I am sinful. There's this great gap that separates me between me and my creator. That, that there's this distance that is, that is vast and wide and I tremble before such a God. So that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. So this becomes this generational way that, that the people of God are to worship God generationally, right? Um, uh, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Right? So uh, it's, this is, if you obey God, there's this great blessing that's going to flow to you. There's this great blessing that will uh, be, be put upon you and your sons and your sons and your sons, sons and sons, 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 right? For all of eternity, it says a thousand generations. So verse 4, 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our, uh, hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? A fact of theology, we would say. Right? That's a theological truth, that there is one God. His name is Yahweh. And then it says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I've commanded you today shall be on your heart. So he's commanding a certain form of piety to the Israelites. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. And then the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you with great good, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It was the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods, right? So don't, so worship Yahweh, right? This is all in in this realm of worship, of devotion, of commitment to. This is all things that that we are doing, the ways that we are worshiping and honoring and and devoting our lives to Jesus, to God, to Yahweh. You shall not go after other gods, verse 14 continues. The gods are the peoples who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. 
So, so Jesus chooses to quote back to the lawyer a text that is embedded. It, it's all about worshiping God. It's all, it's all forming the way that the, the people of Israel worship their creator. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's saying the most important thing, the first thing, the thing of first importance is how you worship me as your savior. How do you come to me when you are weary and heavy laden? Because I have promised to give you rest. Who do you see me as, as Jesus? Do you love me with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind? This, so this text from Deuteronomy 6 is, that, so that, that's like, um, I don't know, the, that's like a field of mint, right? There's tons of it. It's all around it. The, it's, there's so many regulations. Well, the Old Testament actually tries to distill it a little bit as well. Um, if you look at the Ten Commandments, um, this is Exodus uh, chapter 20. Uh, this is what the Ten Commandments says in the first table, right? The first table of the Ten Commandments is all about how you worship God. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is Exodus chapter 25, starting in verse 2. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make uh, for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. Uh, You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children to Uh, to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not be held guiltless who takes, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. The Lord, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so here, right, we have, again, sort of a a distillation of all the laws and regulations that Israel was given in the whole field, right, of the Old Testament into a pure, distilled form. Worship God and worship him alone. Keep his holy day, his Sabbath. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Honor the king. And this can be distilled down to even further to the single statement, you shall love God the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, um, so that's the Old Testament, right? I just wanted to bring us uh, current a little bit to the New Testament. So uh, the, the ladies um, have been studying or finished studying Colossians a couple weeks ago with the women's ministry. So I'm pulling these examples from Colossians. So if, if you're um, familiar with the book of Colossians, uh, in Colossians uh, 1, um, it's all about the gospel, really, about what Jesus is, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and, and, and why that matters, right? But then you start to get into Colossians chapter uh, 2 and 3. Um, Colossians chapter 2 and 3. And so in um, 2, it, it starts with the 2, 6, starts with, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. 
And what it does for the next, about the next chapter, it, it gives these admonitions to the people, like, uh, was it, verse uh, 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty de- deceit, according to the human according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so it's this whole idea that how you think about God, how you worship him, what it says about, you know, uh, here is the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? These, these facts of theology, these, these facts of what the Bible teaches us about who God is and what God has done and, and what he thinks about the world, these are important for us to, to, to grapple with, to deal with, to wrestle with. Um, also, how, how we worship him. So, right, 2.18, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question to food or drink or with regard to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Right, so even the holy days that the people um, uh, in the early church were, were, the Jews were trying to tell them to do, oh, you got to keep um, Yom Kippur. You just got to do it, Right. Like, it's so important. It's so vital. You got to keep, um, you know, the, the Passover. The, these, are, these are so important, so vital to you being Christians now. Where Christians were like, no, right? The old is done. The new has come. I don't need to celebrate those anymore. Those, those have no, those are not part of my covenant with Jesus. And so, um, so how we worship also gets its, uh, gets into the New Testament as law, right? This is law. And how we love God is dictated by God. How, how we uh, desire to serve and devote our lives to him is not dictated by ourselves, right? It's not dictated by the emotions that we, we may have. Uh, even though we need emotions, right, when we're worshiping God, where how we worship God is not dictated by, like, what the culture is doing or, or what we see around us. How we worship God is dictated to us by God in his holy word. And our love for him, our devotion for him, is manifest in the way that we worship him, in the way that we think about him, and in the way that we feel about him. And we get all of that, how we should feel about God, the fear of the Lord, right? How we should worship him. Um, all of that comes to us in his holy word. Um, all of that comes to us in the scriptures, and so that's the, that's the first part of Jesus' answer. That's the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To, I think that's the way Luke, Luke does it. Um, so all that we are, all of, our, all of our devotion, all of our essence, all of our being, all of, all of the works of our hands, all of the thoughts of our minds, all of the feelings of our heart are to be dedicated and devoted to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so what, what about the, the second, right? The second is like it. Well, here Leviticus uh, 19, which is what Jesus quotes. He says in Leviticus 19, 1, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And so uh, how does this holiness play out? Just skip down, uh, what is it, to verse uh, 11. Verse 11, do not steal, do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by the name, uh, by my name, and so profane the name of your, the uh, you, bleh, uh, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God. I am the Lord. 
Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people and do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor, frankly, so that, uh, so that you will not share in their guilt, right? So like go to someone who's in sin and rebuke them clearly and frankly. And do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so how one ought to relate to our neighbor, to, to the people around us, to our, to our children, to our parents, to our uh, siblings, to uh, the people at work, to the people at school, to, to the greater community of Rock Hill, to the greater community of South Carolina, to the greater community of the United States, to the greater community of the world. It's through this principle of love. Love summarizes all of this. Love summarizes not defrauding or robbing your neighbor. Love summarizes how you don't steal from somebody wages. Love summarizes how you, how you don't do stuff that endangers the life of your neighbor. Right? Don't, you don't leave like um, uh, rebar all over the place without putting the little red flag on the top, which shows people it's there, right? Like you don't purposefully do anything that would harm another. All of these commandments of how we should treat each other are summarized again in the, in the Ten Commandments, uh, in the second table of them. In Exodus 25, verse 12, it says, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And so this, it's this context, right? How do we treat each other that Jesus is summarizing in that second statement where he says on these, you know, on these two commandments, Depend all the law on the prophets, right? Love God, love your neighbor. And if you, if you can understand those two things, you understand the whole Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament, you will understand, you will grasp. You will, you will see that, that the, the prophets depend upon this. And what, what do I mean by that? And, and, and like, as we think about this, like, so I, I'm coming to... I'm coming to this law. Jesus has just said, right, uh, upon these two, uh, depend all the law on the prophets, love uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and love your neighbor as himself. And I, want, I just want to ask this question. How many of us have done that, right? How many of us have loved God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? How many of us have truly loved our neighbor as ourselves? How many of us have, have never once ever done something that's harmed another human being, right? How many of us have ever once, ne- never once, never, right, um, done something that, that, that valued uh, our own comfort more than it valued obedience to God, right? That, that valued how I appear before other people more than, than what God has commanded my creator the, one, the, the being who's, who's I am so dependent on that I couldn't even exist, 
without him, right? And how many of us have at least one way that we have rejected that? At least one. I, I can think of hundreds, right? There's in my life of 35 years, right? Hundreds, thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of ways, right? That I have hurt my fellow humans. That I have, I have dishonored my king and my Lord and my savior. And so w- when we think about the, the, I think the law is really easy for us to understand, right? The, if we've read Genesis to Deuteronomy, right? There's so many commands in there. Like, there's a million. Um, if you read Leviticus or Numbers, right? There's just command after command after command of, of what we should do. But what about the prophets? When we think about the prophets, we don't think of a bunch of commands, right? I, I'm, at least I don't. And so what I want us to see is we're going to read Isaiah 24, 1 through 6. Because this is how the prophets relate to the law. This is how understanding uh, the the that the greatest commandment is love God, and the second, is, which is like it, is love your neighbor, uh, gets into the prophets. So Isaiah 24, 1 through 6. It says, Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. So th- this whole idea, right? So in creation, God filled the earth and made it full of life. It was desolate. And now it's full of life. In, in this command, and behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. What, he, what this means is that the earth is full and God will empty it. He will make it desolate. He will decreate what he's made uh, akin to what happened in the great flood. Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the slave, so with the master, as with the maid, so with the mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. No one will escape this, right? No one will escape the coming judgment of God. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants. For they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched and few men are left. And so what we see, the the prophets are God's litigators. They are the the lawyers in the court of the covenant between the the covenant suzerain Yahweh and and the covenant vassals, uh, uh, Israel, uh, humanity, creation. And they are reminding his people, these prophets are reminding the people of the world that they have broken their obligation to God and to his, the, their fellow, uh, fellow uh, cover, covenant uh, vassals. They have broken the law. They announced the curse, right? They announced that destruction is coming, that, that because of you breaking God's laws... That, that destruction is coming. 
there's a, a breaking in the, in the covenant. This is what happened in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, where it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Right? So that's the stipulation of the covenant. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. That's what happens if the, the covenant is broken. And so where there is a violation of the law of God, there is always consequences. Always. In every instance. And there, the, uh, there is always a price that has to be paid. And in Genesis, we have the pattern established that sin leads to death. Sin leads to death. And, and this is what the prophets and this is what the law are all saying to us constantly. We see um, glimmers of this in, in Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy 28 is full of curses. It's full of a, a whole table of curses that if Israel breaks, God's law will fall upon them. And then uh, there's also a whole chapter of all the blessings that, that Israel will, will receive, the tree of life from uh, the Genesis chapter 2, the tree of life, which is life in the land and, and fullness of it. So curses are everywhere. So when Jesus quotes the law, he is bringing that into the discussion, right? When Jesus uh, is quoting the commands of the law and the prophets, he is also reminding us of the curses. That, that the positive nature of you need to do these things, you need to love God, you need to love your neighbor. But by saying the positive, he should also be reminding us of all the negative, right? That if you don't do these things, that there are consequences and that consequence is death, and so the question remains, right? Have I kept all these perfectly? Have I loved God and my neighbor as I ought? What do the prophets say about that question? How does a prophet answer that? Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And this language, this all of us like sheep going astray, should remind us of Judges 17.6, which says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone that was right in his own eyes. So all of us like sheep going astray, like leaving the pasture of our king, we have chosen fields for ourselves to eat at. We have chosen a, a way that seems right to us in our worship of God and in, in our love of neighbor. Instead of submitting to God's holy standards in both of these, we create standards of our own. And we try to impose them on each other. That's how uh, re religions and religiosity and, and all those things uh, come to be. That's how uh, false standards and, and human standards of morality, right, become the norm in our cultures and in our societies. What... what uh, we begin to call things evil that God calls good. Um, and there are, there are countless examples of that uh, in human society. But this whole idea, right, of everyone doing what was right in their own eyes, it's that then judges, that's an echo of Deuteronomy 12.8, which says, you shall not do according uh, to all that you are doing here today. Everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. So there's a, this time of rebellion. Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, even with Moses, even during the Exodus. And, and that whole doing what is right in our own eyes should remind us of Genesis chapter 3 and of the fall. So listen to how uh, Moses describes this in Genesis 3, 6. 
So when the woman saw, what do you see with your eyes? When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes with which you see and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And this is doing whatever is right in your own eyes. Right? You're taking what God has said. You're making your own judgment about its truth, about its validity, about it, how it should work in the world. Whether you're, you're talking about worshiping God or whether you're talking about how you should treat your neighbor. We all do this and we see a way that looks good to us. But it's a rejection of what God has said. And we choose it to our own destruction. The law and the prophets are clear. We all stand under a condemnation of death for breaking the law of God. But is there any hope? If that is true, can the transgressor be forgiven? Can the rebellious be restored? Could, be, could the wicked be washed? Is there any balm in Gilead? Isaiah chapter 53 says this. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So this question is like, who? The, we have good news. Who's going to believe it? We have something that is so valuable. Who's going to listen? What is that value that, that the prophet has, Isaiah has? Verse 2, uh, 53, 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for this generation, his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, was, uh, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. 
Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressions, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Transgressors. So the question is, who is this man? Who is he that keeps getting referenced over and over and over again? In Isaiah chapter 53, Jesus is the man. Jesus is the man. Jesus had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus was despised and rejected by men. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus was despised and Jesus was not esteemed. But two, Jesus surely has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Jesus was stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. And Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. Jesus' chastisement brought us peace. In his wounds we are healed. Jesus was oppressed and Jesus was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. And he was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. And they made Jesus' grave with the wicked, right? He was crucified with two terrorists on a cross. And, and Jesus was also buried in a tomb of a rich man, right? Joseph of Arimathea. So Jesus, although he had done no violence and had no deceit in his mouth... He bore the sins of many. And currently, right now, today, he makes intercession for the transgressors, for you and for me. Do you believe this today? Do you believe this? Does this, this prophecy from a, an 8th century Jewish uh, uh, prophet, this Isaiah, does the accuracy with which he describes how the man Jesus will die 800 years later, does that inspire something in your heart? Does that make you wonder, wonder at how God orchestrated history for the salvation of our souls? Does it, does it make you wonder at his power and his goodness and his majesty that he would give us such concrete evidence that all of his promises are true. That what he has put in his Bible is for our benefit, for our good, for our flourishing. That his laws are just and true. And when he says stop, he means that we ought to stop. God is good and God is real. And Jesus is his beloved son who rose from the dead to prove to us all that this is so. We can put our faith in him. We can trust him for everything. And also, does this goodness in bearing the punishment on our behalf, does it, does it light something in your soul? Is it like the, 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 the strike of, of steel to flint, right, that sends a spark flying and, and our hearts are our hearts kindling? Right? Uh, have we gotten all the pine straw together? And, 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 and it, it, does that, the, the fact that he loves us so much, does that, start, does that spark land with you? Right? And, and even if you're not there, if you, if you think, oh man, I am, I am a wet, 
I am a wet pile of wood, right? I want you to remember um, the story um, in, in, in Kings, right? So one of his prophets, right, he's, he's coming before uh, Baal. Everybody's worshiping Baal at the time, Baal. Um, they think he's the bee's knees, right? And he got this one prophet who's all by himself. And he, he, he sets up this test. He says, okay, guys, you set up your, your altars to Baal, um, slaughter your stuff, and, and put up your stuff, and call down to him and see if fire will light it, right? See if fire is going to light your offerings. Um, and they, they dance, right? They're cutting themselves. And the prophet's like, hey, um, shout louder. Maybe he's going to the bathroom, right? Shout louder, and maybe he'll come out and, and he'll help you guys. And then what he does is he, he gets this altar. And this, this altar is this, it's a symbol for our worship, right? It's a symbol of us. It's a symbol of like who Israel was at the time. And so it's wood, right? He slaughters a calf. And then what he does is he goes and gets buckets and buckets and buckets of, of water, and he just pours it all over the altar. He pours it all over the altar. And I don't know, have you ever tried to start wood, a fire with wood that's wet? It is impossible. I mean, maybe it's possible for somebody like super skilled in woods mini or you have the little thing. But it's imp- like, I can't do it. I really can't. I, like, I've tried and I, I just can't. But what God does is God sends his fire. And he blows up the altar, right? It comes crashing down and it consumes his altar. And then he sends his fire and he consumes all the false worshipers, which is uh, God's judgment upon them. But, but that's, a, that's an image, right? If you feel like you just can't. You can't be devoted to God. You, 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 you've just gone too far away. There's just too much water in your life that's quenched your love. Call out to God. Call out to God and God will send his fire down, right? There is nothing that he cannot redeem. There is no distance that he will not go to save you. He will quench, he will, he will overcome that obstacle of that quenching water, right? He will overcome it and he will light you ablaze with his love. Because that's how much he cares for you. That's how much he yearns for you. That's how much he wants to have relationship with you. And that is the gospel. And so if you are there and you're like, I can't be lit. There's some of us who are like, we feel, we feel it and we're ready and we hear that message of love and we're like, yes! And we, we start the fire. And then there's other of us who have been weighed down by sin and by, by, um, by grief and by um, by the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, and, and, and we're, just, we're just wet. We're just wet. Call out to God today. Call out for his fire to come from heaven and rest upon you. Because God will do that. He will save you. He will make you his own. Respond to Jesus today. And so I want to end with this. I want to end with love right? Love. So we've been talking about uh, sort of how God commands love in, in both of these ways, but what is love, right? When, when we think about it, what, what does it mean, right? So it, it, it means truth, right? Love is truthful. And so as, as we think how we worship God, we want to worship in spirit and truth. And, and how we treat our neighbors is we want to treat them in, 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 like, in a true way that's uh, congruent with reality, with the way things actually are, um, it's, it's, it's about um, emotion, 
right? It's about how, how we feel about God and our neighbor. It, it's, also about, um, it's also about devotion. What are we willing to do? What lengths are we willing to go? What, what are we willing to suffer to show our love? The, there are a couple, the, the New Testament is full of love, right? They called, they called their Sunday morning gatherings where they had communion a love feast, right? That's what they called it. Love was so central to the early church. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul says, you know, uh, among these three, faith, hope, and love uh, remain, but the greatest of these is love. John uh, 1, 4, 8, 1 John, 1, uh, 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. Right? If you boil God down to, to what God is, God is love. And so uh, as we go from here, as we go from here, I think the challenge for us today is how does love characterize my relationship to Yahweh, to Jesus, to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords? How does it, how does it shape and discipline and, and direct and form my worship of him? And then also, similarly, how does love do that for my neighbor? How does love do that for the people in my circles? How does, how does love change the way that I do work? Right? How does love change the way that I'm a friend to someone? How does love change the way that I drive? Right? If we talk about not, uh, not uh, was it Leviticus, uh, not leading to somebody else's harm, right? Um, just think about what you're driving, right? Don't run through red lights or stop signs, right? It's very simple, but that's love, Right? That's love on display. So as we obey God's laws and, and even like some, some helpful man-made ones, right? Love becomes the way that we, that we think about it. Like the way that um, I'm a friend to somebody. Do I just constantly uh, nod my head yes, even though they're saying things that are harmful or hurtful or that would lead them astray into destruction? Or do I not participate in that with them and lovingly confront them or rebuke them? Do I, do, when I, um, uh, I want to leave with this thought. So Deuteronomy chapter, um, we talked about this, Deuteronomy chapter um, 6, right, um, says here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. Um, and these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall walk Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and, you shall be, uh, and they shall be a frontlet to your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So, uh, challenge here. So, the, the first is um, the, the family of God is a spiritual family. And so, when it says uh, children here, uh, it, it does talk about like fathers and mothers with their children, but it is also talking about the community of faith. It is talking about us as a family. Um, and so what it is saying here is, hey, church, there are some of you who are older, like parents, and there are some of you who are younger in the faith. That's just the way it is. And so what it's, what it's commanding us to do all of us, in every way, we're either a participant or a recipient or a giver or a receiver in this process of discipleship. That's what, that's what this is going on, right? So he's saying, um, 
teach. So as, as Christians, right, we're teaching uh, our sons, the, the spiritual children in our lives, uh, to, to walk in the way of the Lord. And we're to, to do it as we sit in our house and we walk by the way or when we lie down or when we rise up. And so there's a very real sense in which all the church, either as a, a receiver or a giver, should be involved in the work of discipleship. That there's a very real sense in which we should be so ingrained in each other's lives that we're able to speak truth to each other, that we're able to receive truth from each other, that we're able to build each other up into the right worship of God and into the right love of our neighbor. And we need, uh, we need to be an active participant in that. That needs to be something that we devote ourselves to. Not, be, not because we're like, we think we have all the answers or because we think we have none of the answers, but because God has commanded it and God requires it. And, and what happens when we obey God is that intense blessing flows. And so there are many ways you can get involved in discipleship here at Remedy, right? The, we do it in the kids area in the back, right? That's the time where we as a church disciple our children together. Uh, we do it in the homes, but we do it here together. You can get involved in, there's men's ministries, there's women's ministries, right? There's community groups, there's uh, smaller, just groups of friends, right? Who can get together and do these things for each other. But as we examine what it means to love, I hope that we can see ways that we can tangibly uh, love each other uh, in a way that honors God, our King, and builds each other up uh, in the faith. So let's pray. God, we are grateful that your, that your love um, is indefeatable. That your love is um, powerful. That your love is contagious. Um, that your love redeems and restores and brings to life. That your love resurrects. That your love uh, consumes us and burns away all of the uselessness uh, that is in us and leaves only what is pure, only what is good, only the gold and the precious materials. Your love through your spirit fashions us after the image of love. And we have that image most, most purely, most perfectly, most uh, beautifully in Christ our King. And so Lord, we pray that we would worship you as Jesus worshiped. We pray that we would love our neighbor as Jesus loved his neighbor. So Spirit, do that work in our hearts. Do that in our church. Do that through us, we pray. Amen.